0: Just that people need the Lord. And, you know, as he says, the song says, when will we realize people need the Lord? He's the open door. Turn your Bibles to Romans 15, verse 22 through uh, uh, 33, Romans 15, 22 through 33, as we've got uh, three messages counting today left in Romans and uh, then we're going to go through uh, kind of a mini-series on the angels in Luke chapter 1. The angels in Luke chapter 1 we're going to talk about for a few Sundays during the Advent series, Advent season. Advent Advent means waiting. It's the idea of waiting for Christ's birth and celebrating Christ's birth. But also don't forget the second Sunday of Advent. or the, Actually, it's the third Sunday technically, but the second Sunday of December. Uh, we have the Children's Program, and so don't forget that. Look forward to that as a preview of coming attractions here. You know, as you think about the gospel and people need the Lord, there's a, a movie made, and I saw it last weekend with a few friends from Bethel Friends. A few friends from Bethel Friends, it's funny. Um, called The Reluctant Convert and it's about C.S. Lewis and leading up to his conversion and it replays things going on with with J.R. Tolkien and others leading to his con- conversion and i highly commend that movie to you and it's it's a reminder people need the lord and the lord got a hold of C.S. Lewis and how has god used his writings and ministered you never but, but you know what Oftentimes, we remember the C.S. Lewis or the Billy Graham or the D.L. Moody. We may not remember the person who shared the gospel with them. And God uses us all in various ways. There's a movie coming out about Kurt Warner. I think the movie's called Warner, and I saw the preview about that. So I don't know if you know about Kurt Warner. He's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, and yet he was you know, um, stocking shelves at a grocery store. And then eventually, you know, he was able to get back in the NFL. But he was, a, he was and is a dedicated Christian. In fact, he met a woman. And if I recall, her, her son has special needs. And I think it's a Down syndrome. And she thought, you know, you, you wouldn't want to date me. And he didn't care. He went out with her and married her later on and became an NFL quarterback again. I'd heard him on Folks in the Family a few times. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, and, and I have a friend who works at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, you know, pray that God will use people of a platform like that, like Kurt Warner, like these Christian athletes or, or maybe Christian songwriters or singers or, or others. But of course, remember, God is also using the people who share the gospel with the, plat- with the people of the platform, the, the people who we don't know their name and people need the Lord. I read this a few years ago. It's by uh, Stuart Briscoe in a work called Bound for Joy. It says, a few years ago, I stood, he writes, a few years ago, I stood in the banks of a river in South America, and watched a young man in Western clothes climb out of a primitive canoe. The veteran missionary with whom I was traveling beamed at the young man, and he whispered to me. He said, the first time I saw him, he was a naked Indian standing right on this bank, and he pulled in my canoe for me. God gave me a real concern for him, and eventually he came to Christ committed himself to the Lord's work, and is just returning home after graduating from seminary in Costa Rica. I understood the beam on the missionary's face, uh, Stuart Briscoe says. Briscoe says, I understand the beam on the missionary's face. And I think Paul beamed when he talked of his men. And he had good cause to be thrilled with them as we finish these last two chapters of Romans, we see Paul, and we're gonna especially see this next week, talk about the people, greet the people who have ministered alongside him. And I wonder if we can think about those to whom we've been able to influence for the faith or those that have influenced us for the faith. God transforms people's lives. Where would you be today? without Christ in your life. Hopefully God got a hold of you and brought you along a different trajectory. My theme today is Paul's plan to visit Rome. As we look at Romans 15, through 33, my application is pray for the gospel impact. Pray that God would use you for the gospel impact. We have a church growth task force we're meeting. We had our fourth or so meeting yesterday. It's uh, working under the elders, of course. Um, And we're considering prayerfully, discerning, studying, you know, how can Bethel think differently about church growth? We need to grow. I don't know if you look around you right now. Um, There's very few here right now in their 30s maybe only one or two, um, very few in their 20s and very few children. And I keep emphasizing and I will continue to keep emphasizing and you may get frustrated and bothered at me, but I will keep emphasizing we need to grow and we, we need to reach the next generation with the gospel. They need the gospel. And I, and, and I wonder, and the reason I bring up the Church Growth Task Force and I would encourage you, please pray for our leaders and pray for the Church Growth Task Force. I wonder How many care about reaching people with the gospel? Is there a complacency amongst us at Bethel, friends? Last week, I wrapped up the sermon with the last verse in that section, Romans 15, 20, and 21, where Paul says, I desire to take the gospel where where, where it hasn't been planted before. Paul wanted to take the gospel to unchurch, uninterested people. Studies usually say that with church growth, it's just kind of shuffling the deck. People go from one church to another, to another, to another. And I pray that we at Bethel Friends will reach unchurched, uninterested people with the gospel because people do need the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed, I have. We live in an upside down world right now, an upside down culture. Things are crazy. What do they say? Cray-cray? You know, we are, we are living in an experiment an experiment of a culture, a world, without a worldview. It's not just that the Christian worldview is leaving. I think one of the militant atheists, I think it was Richard Dawkins said, no, 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 I grieve the Christian worldview leaving because I don't want what it's going to be replaced with. Right now in America, I strongly believe it's being replaced with nothing. There's no view of right and wrong. It is not just an upside down world. It's a deck of cards all flown all over the place. And you know what the answer is? It's not a politician. It's the Lord. It really is the gospel. And so I encourage you, pray for gospel impact. That's my application today. Pray for gospel impact. Pray that God will give you opportunities to plant seeds of the gospel, to talk about the gospel. And and I think I was going to share this later in the sermon um, without Bill Rotar's permission, but I don't. think he'll care um you know he he was talking this morning in sunday school and he'd shared it with me before about how he was on a christian softball league and and they were at poland village baptist church and 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 this guy just started asking him are you born again and he thought are you crazy and the next day the pastor you know looked down in the congregation said if you died today are you sure you would go to heaven you know and bill rotar was saved and and praise god for that and and but you know what is interesting it was just at a cookout and the guy has this gospel conversation, this God based conversation, this spiritual conversation. Maybe the man knew what God was going to do with it. Maybe not, but he chose to be an instrument of God. And I pray that we all are praying for gospel impact that we really know. You know, we like the song that Steve just sang, but do we really know? Do we really believe wholeheartedly that people need the Lord? Our children need the Lord. Our grandchildren need the Lord. Our neighbors need the Lord. Our coworkers need the Lord. Our politicians need the Lord. Now we know that, don't we? I mean, that's obvious. And maybe sometimes that's more obvious than the rest, but people need the Lord and God wants to use you. If you watch the C.S. Lewis movie, The Reluctant Convert, you can see his conversations prior to becoming saved. I knew about one of the guys, Gerald Tolkien, but there were others who were instrumental. And do you wanna be used by God to make an impact? I pray that we all do. So now let's look at the scripture as I belabored the intro. Paul's travel plans are in verses 23 through 29. So Paul has already written about this great theology section, our salvation in Christ, freely in Christ Christ freely say Romans chapters 1 through 11. And then Paul has wrapped up his great ethics section. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 7, all great, great, great moral ethics which he has written about. And they are great, and they are important, and we all need to work on them. Romans 12, 9 through 10, outdo one another in showing love. Wow, that's powerful. This great ethics section. Paul has written about his passion to reach the unreached with the gospel. That was Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 21, which we talked about last week. And I pray that that can become a convictional prayer passage for all of you. And now Paul continues that theme. Paul continues writing about his passion to take the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. I told you that it seems that Paul wanted to use Rome as a staging point to take the gospel to Spain. I mean, back then, it took a while to travel, didn't it? I mean, he needed a staging point. He needed a church a little closer. And it seems like Paul wanted to use Rome as a staging point to get to Spain. Look at verse 22. Hopefully you're all there in your Bibles or on your uh, smartphones or whatever. Um, I encourage you at this time, just close the Facebook app and go back to the Bible app. (laughs) or the message you're at, whatever you're, or the work email. Verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. We look at that and we're like, why? What reason? Remember, context is very important studying the Bible. Why was he hindered? What is the reason that Paul has often been hindered from coming to them? It seems that he was busy Taking the gospel to the unreached people groups. That was in context. What, was the pre- what were the previous verses about? It, they were about how he took the gospel all around the known world. And how he wanted to take the gospel to those who have never heard. And that's the reason that he's been hindered in coming to them. He wanted to take the gospel to those who have never heard. And in verse 19, Paul was specific about the places he had declared the gospel. I have this extra thought which I'll credit the Holy Spirit for. Another time, another place, I was a McDonald's manager, a shift manager in Trotwood, Ohio, just right outside Dayton. Cheryl knows where Trotwood is. Anyways, um, and I was new and I was in training and there was a lady in there named Jean and she came and I was working the back drive-through because I was in training to be a shift manager. And she came back and I heard her share the gospel with someone in the break room. And then she said, I've now shared the gospel with everyone who works here. And we had many gospel conversations with her. How powerful that is. Do you think about the providence of God, that God has you where he has you for a reason? Do you ever think that maybe God has you take a detour in your route and end up at the grocery store for some item you didn't even know you needed, but he has you there for a reason? Do you ever think about that? And, and don't get discouraged thinking you have to get from point A to the end of the gospel and that you fail. I know I said this last week. I'll say it again and again and again. We get discouraged thinking that we fail if they don't receive Christ. Sometimes maybe God just wants you to plant a seed. But God has you places for a reason. And the Apostle Paul had gone all over the known world taking the gospel. A few years ago, Damascus friends had this slogan where they would say, just one more. You ever think about that? We just want to reach one more. We just want to reach one more with the gospel. How powerful that is. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. God cares about the one. In Romans 1, 13, Paul also referenced uh, how he had taken the gospel all over the known world. Look at verses 23 through 24. He says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. He says, but now. There's a little contrast there. But now, he'd been hindered from coming to them, but now he's not hindered anymore. He has no room for work in these areas anymore. It seems that this means that his work is either complete or hindered. It could be to the point where the divine appointments are over. Maybe his work isn't complete in these areas, but maybe it's hindered. So he he thinks it's time to shake the dust off his feet and move on. Or maybe it's because he set up all these churches in these areas, in these regions, and he feels confident in the elders that he's put in place and he can move on to Rome. You know, first and second Timothy are written to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor who Paul left at Ephesus to pastor that church. So Paul could move on. And it seems like that was Paul's method. He would go, he would start a church, he would appoint elders, he would appoint kind of a pastor, and then he would move on. He stayed at Ephesus longer than any of the other churches, something like a year and a half to two years. But now Paul believes he can move on. And so he, he, he hopes to see them, see them in Rome in passing as he goes to Spain. He hopes they will help him on his journey to Spain. But first, he wants to enjoy their company for a while. Isn't it amazing to think? of the gospel going from the Middle East to Spain. Jesus' death and resurrection was probably around maybe 30 AD, maybe 27 AD, sometime between 27 and 33 AD. Right now it's probably maybe around uh, 60, 62 AD. And by now, in 30, 32 years, the gospel has made it pretty much all over the known world. Thomas, the disciple... Likely took the gospel to India. If you were in my uh, disciples' class on Wednesday night, you would know that. And, uh, uh, or it'll be on the test for those that do come. And here Paul is talking about going to Spain. It's a huge deal. I mean, I think they, he pretty much walked everywhere he went to, except for a few ship journeys. We know Second uh, uh, Corinthians 11 talks about him being shipwrecked a night and a day at sea. He really sacrificed to take the gospel all over the known world. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher from the 1800s, said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Which are you? We are either a missionary because if we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, guess what? We are called to missions. God has you where you are at for a reason to take the gospel to a sphere of influence that God has placed around you. They are your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. You ever think that God might have you in your neighborhood for a reason to share the gospel? God has you in the workplace for a reason to share the gospel. God has you everywhere for a reason to share the gospel. And you are a missionary? Or you're an imposter. An imposter would mean you're not even a real Christian. You're just, you know, you're just acting like one. Look at verse 25. Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Paul wants to do gospel ministry in two different directions. He wants to go to Spain... But now he is taking aid to Jerusalem. So in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10, Paul writes about uh, doing a fundraising drive to take support to Jerusalem. There has been a famine in Jerusalem, and so Paul is taking aid to Jerusalem. He's taking support to Jerusalem. So Paul wants to go to Jerusalem with this aid, by the way, which is the wrong direction, to Spain. And then he wants to go backwards, back to Spain by way of Rome, look at verses twenty six to twenty seven. He says, "For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them." That's interesting. Owe it to them? He says, "For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them." In material blessings. So he's saying Macedonia and Achaia. So Achaia is the broader area of Corinth. So if you think of Corinth like, like a city, like the city of Columbus, Achaia would be like the state of Ohio. Achaia is a broader area around Corinth. And so he's saying Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to offer support to Jerusalem, to the famine. He says they're pleased to do it. And he says they owe it to them. He says if the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual blessings... What spiritual blessings? He means the Gentiles have reaped the spiritual blessings of Judaism. And so they ought also to bless them with material needs. Now look at verse 28. He says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So this is Paul's travel plans. He will take the offering to Jerusalem and then go to Spain. But he wants to see them on his way. You know, we do not know if he ever made it to Spain. It's not recorded in the Bible. Look at verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That is really cool, by the way. When I come to you, he's saying, he wants to represent the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Do you ever think about that? You want to go visit a Christian brother or sister? And you want to represent the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You don't want to just bicker and be divisive and be argumentative and win an argument or or one-up them. You want to represent the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That's powerful. Little did he know that he would be taken to Rome in custody. He came to Rome in chains, shackles. By the first century A.D., Spain was firmly a part of the Roman Empire. Spain provided significant crops to the empire. And Spain was the fatherland of several important Roman authors and a few later emperors as well. Thus, it would have been a strategic location for Paul to evangelize. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with thinking of strategy, right? If you want to go fishing, how many of you fish out there? Some of you fish. Laura fishes. Don and Jenny Phillips fish. Dick Locke fishes. He has a lake behind his house. You know, uh, if you're fishing, you want to fish where the fish are, right? So Paul wants to go to Spain and preach the gospel. And it would have been a great location to go with the gospel. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. That's a very, very good thing. Paul, uh, but no visit of Paul to Spain is recorded in the New Testament. But it is possible that he went there after his release from prison in Rome. And you can see Acts 28, verses 30 through 31 about that. There is some historical evidence after the New Testament suggesting that Paul did preach in Spain, but it falls short of clear proof. But he wanted, he was eager to take the gospel to Spain. Are we eager to take the gospel places? I know I'm being a little redundant because it's important, right? Are we eager to? I want to take the gospel to my family. I want to take the gospel to my friends. I mean, if you, if God took you home tonight, would you say, Lord, I really wish I could have stayed to watch more TV? Would you say, Lord, I really wish I could have stayed because that Monday night football game, I really wanted to see it. Would you say, Lord, I really wish I would have stayed? because I got a pool being delivered, you know, next spring. Uh, uh, Lord, I really wish I would have stayed to be able to vote. Uh, Or would you say, Lord, I really wish I would have more time to take the gospel to these family members, these friends. You'll be judged by that, and so will I. Paul wants to represent Christ. He wants to be an ambassador for Christ. And so now he prays, Paul, Paul, Paul shares how to pray for him. Look at verses 30 through 32. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... Notice this, it's an appeal, it's a charge. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he appeals, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, it's his title, by our Lord Jesus Messiah. I'm appealing to you, brothers, and you could say brothers and sisters. Paul was a little bit woke, at least. You know, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Messiah, and by the love of the Spirit. This is Trinitarian, by the way. By the love of the Spirit, And this is the, this is the appeal to strive together with me in your prayers to go to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. This is a powerful exhortation, a powerful prayer, a powerful appeal. And the more times I read it and the more times I review this sermon, I get more and more convicted and encouraged by it. He's appealing to them. The Greek word translated brothers could be translated brothers and sisters. There's a sort of natural Trinitarianism here, as I shared in verse 30, where Paul speaks of praying to God, but beseeches the Roman Christians through Jesus and through the love which the Spirit engenders in them. It's Trinitarian. He's appealing by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's appealing by the love of the Holy Spirit. The phrase occurs only here in scripture and refers to Paul's love for the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit's love for him. You can see Psalm 143, 10 is a cross reference. Paul's love for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Bill's been teaching about the Holy Spirit and he's gonna get to spiritual gifts in a few weeks. A really, really great class. If you think about the, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 9, the Holy Spirit is within us as Christians. Paul appeals to them. His appeal has the power of the Lord. His appeal is in the love of the Spirit. And Paul makes two requests. Two. That'll be on the quiz. Uh, That Paul would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That's number one. Number two, that his offering would be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. Some think the first request was not answered. Since Paul was arrested, he was arrested when he went to Jerusalem. He came to Rome in chains and shackles. But it seems his prayer was answered. For the Jews desired to put him to death, you can read in Acts chapters 22 through 28, yet he was not killed. He was able to make it to Rome, though in prison. Further, Acts suggests that the offering was accepted in Jerusalem. You can see a little little verse about that in Acts 24, 17. His appeal is that they would strive. You ever think about that word, strive together in prayer? Do you ever say, would you strive together with me in prayer? Well, I'm going to intensify that. It's the Greek word by which we get agonize. Agonize. It's agonistic language. It's using the athletic metaphor of the straining of an athletic a straining of an athlete toward a particular goal. And you can see Philippians one twenty seven, Philippians 4.3, and Colossians 4.12 about that. The Christian here is viewed as a spiritual athlete, wrestling or striving diligently, straining, earnestly, agonizing in prayer. Paul does not seem to mean simply that the Romans should strive with them rather than strive in prayer. He's challenging them, he's exhorting them, he's asking them, he's appealing to them to agonize in prayer. Jesus agonized in prayer at Gethsemane. Do you ever agonize in prayer over something? Do we ever agonize in prayer over loved ones who have walked away from the Lord? Do we ever agonize in prayer over those who do not know the Lord? Lord, do something. I love my relative. I love them. They, I love my brother. I love my sister. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. But they've walked away from the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. Lord, I'm, you know, do you agonize in prayer for them? We know that prayer works, James 5. The effect of prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. I believe no one comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior except by prayer. Do you ever add fasting to that prayer? Paul wants them to agonize with him in prayer for him. He's praying for himself when he needs them to pray too. His prayer is not selfish, though. It is that his ministry in Jerusalem is acceptable to the saints. He wants prayer so that he is delivered or rescued from those unbelievers in Judea. It seems that some would want to cause him harm. He wants wants that so that he can go to Rome, but only in God's will. Notice that. He says only in God's will. He wants to be refreshed by their company. Look at verse 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's how he finishes his chapter. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. By the way, going back a couple verses, do we think of being refreshed by the company of other believers? Are we refreshed when we come to Wednesday night Bible study or a small group or Sunday school or a worship service or maybe meeting with a Christian friend for, for lunch or breakfast or just for prayer? It's never just for prayer, by the way. I only say that because it doesn't involve food, which most of the time when Jesus was meeting with people, it did involve food. So, you know, food is very important, um, you think about being refreshed by the company of other believers. This is such a caring and wonderful appeal, such a caring and wonderful exhortation about prayer. There's a seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary. If you've listened to David Jeremiah, he came out of Dallas Theological Seminary. If you listen to Tony Evans or Chuck Swindoll or Chip Ingram or Doctor Idelchik uh, or many of the people on Moody Radio, they they went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, if you listen to Vern Vernon McGee going back a few years, he came from Dallas Theological Seminary. Most of my professors at Cedarville came out of Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, shortly after Dallas Theological Seminary opened its doors, their doors were almost closed because of bankruptcy. Before their 1929 commencement day, the faculty gathered in the president's office to pray that God would provide. They formed a prayer circle and it was when it was Harry Ironside's turn, he circled Psalm 50, verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, The Lord owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Harry Ironside circled Psalm 50, verse 10, and he said, he, he said something like, Lord, we know you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some of them and send us the money. <laughs> the time lapse between our request and God's answers is often longer than we would like, but occasionally God answers immediately. While the faculty was praying, a $10,000 answer was delivered. One version of the story attributes the gift to a Texas cattle rancher who had sold two carloads of cattle. Another version attributes it to a banker from Illinois. But one way or another, it was God who prompted the gift and answered the prayer. In a moment that is reminiscent of Acts chapter 12, in Acts chapter 12, the people are praying for Peter's release from prison and he shows up at the door and they don't believe it's Peter. In a moment that's reminiscent of Acts chapter 12, the secretary knocked on the door. And the president, Dr. Louis Berry Schaefer, the president of Dallas Seminary, answered the door and he came back and he, he looked at his friend, Dr. Harry Ironside, and said, Harry, God sold the cattle. God answered that prayer. Paul is appealing to them to pray and to pray deep spiritual prayers. Do we pray spiritual prayers? Do we agonize in prayer? Is it something we care about? And by the way, let's break this down for a moment. Let's make some applications. We, all, we also must care about the gospel. Do, are we willing to alter our plans for gospel impact? Will we alter our day if it means gospel ministry? Will we alter our travel plans for the gospel? And maybe it's direct gospel ministry, or maybe it's, maybe it's serving. Will we alter our day to serve as an ambassador of Christ? Will we serve at the rescue mission? Will we serve a neighbor in need? By the way, the rescue mission had a ribbon cutting just last Friday for their new center. Will we get our hands dirty in ministry? Will we go on a mission trip? My last church, uh, First Baptist Alliance, would do a, they would lead, but 10 churches participated, a mission trip in Alliance every year. I would love, love, love to get that, that going here at Bethel. We connect with 10 or 12 other churches, or maybe 20, or maybe it starts with just two or three other churches, and we lead a mission trip in Youngstown every year. We would get like 70 volunteers. The youth ministry of Alliance Friends would actually camp at the church every night and would have worship at the church and and make it like a foreign mission trip. And they would serve every day. We started with a devotion every day. And we went out, we built wheelchair ramps repaired porches and painted houses and did yard cleanup. And it was an excellent ministry. Maybe God would lead you to start a ministry like that here. Will we get our hands dirty for the ministry? Will we volunteer in the youth ministry or children's ministry or worship ministry or help in another way at the church? Are we praying for gospel ministry? Paul wanted to visit them and then go further to Spain. Do we want to visit Christian brothers and sisters you do not usually see? You know that if you support a compassion child, you can actually schedule a time to go and visit them. Are we serving In verses 25 through 28, Paul was talking about churches that donate to the needs of Jerusalem, and Paul was delivering it. Have you thought about donating to the Pregnancy Help Center or donating to the Rescue Mission or the Beatitude House or other ministries? Are we praying first? We need to always begin every ministry with prayer. Pray for the praise team. Pray for the youth ministry, the children's ministry, the elders, the leaders of the church. Pray for other national ministries. Pray for our missionaries. Speaking of missionaries, there was a missionary couple and they were coming home aboard a ship after many years of faithful service in Africa. It so happened that as they were traveling home on the ship, there was also a very important dignitary on that ship. And as the ship pulled into port or floated into port, however you call it. As a ship came into port, the bands were playing and the flags were waving and they were all excited for this American diplomat coming home. The missionary couple quietly watched. They got off the ship, came into the streets of New York City, walked around. And the husband looked at his wife and he said, honey, It just doesn't seem right after all these years that we would have this kind of treatment. And here this fella, this diplomat, gets that kind of special treatment. And apparently he married up. His wife put her arms around her husband and said to him, but honey, we're not home yet. Last night we closed the Saturday night service with, I can only imagine. Maybe you've heard that wonderful, wonderful Christian song. You know, our perfection is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Jesus offers us a fuller life now, yes. A complete life now, yes. We walk with Jesus now, yes. And then eternal life in heaven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in a state of prayer. If you die today, do you know that you would be in heaven? Can you sing that song, I can only imagine knowing that you will meet Jesus in heaven. If you haven't, I encourage you today to confess you are a sinner in need of a savior, believe in Jesus as the one and only savior, trust in him and commit to him. Those are the four action words, they're verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that You've given us songs like I can only imagine. And the song is there. And there's many, many, many great gospel hymns that that we sing too about heaven. The song is there. Those songs, those hymns, we sing them because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We do ministry now, but we know we are not home until we meet you in heaven. Lord God, if anyone here is convicted by the Holy Spirit, that they need to commit to you. They've heard me talk about evangelism throughout this whole sermon, and they think they're not even confident of their own faith. I pray that today would be the day they're born again. And if that's you, and maybe you, need, maybe you committed to Jesus years ago, but you've fallen away, rededicate your life to him today. Maybe you've always been a believer, but you haven't been committed. Commit to him to make him Lord of your life today. Maybe you need to make the first time commitment. Respond in a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, Lord, I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I am committing to you. Lord, help us all living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We said that prayer. Share it with someone. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner repentance. repents. I always say this, and I say it again. If you have questions about God and spiritual life, don't hesitate to talk to me. As, our closing, as they lead the closing song, the altars are always open. If God has laid something on your heart, it may not be about salvation. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's just something very burdensome in your life. You're always welcome to come forward and pray at the altars. Amen. We know that God is our...